Okay, we have a lot of things going on for today. Uh, Brad has the, do you still have the sign-up sheet? Okay, I've talked about this sign-up sheet, and for two weeks in a row I didn't send them around, so uh, the sign-up sheet's coming around. So if you can just put uh, your name down, your spouse's name, and if we do not have your email address in the system, if you can put your email address on there, so that way uh, that we have that. Our remaining schedule is we're going to be meeting, obviously, today and then next week, and then we will not be meeting until July. We'll finish uh, sessions four through six. We'll finish up the Art of Marriage in July. So we'll be doing uh, session three next week. If you don't have a book, we have books here. Uh, we recommend two books, uh, one for each of you. Uh, if you want just one, you can just take one. They're $10 each. Whenever you get time to pay them in the resource center, that'd be fine. But is there anyone who needs a book? Okay. And then if you weren't here for week one, I went through the introduction of uh, p- uh, Partners with Purpose uh, Ministry and what we're going to be doing. We have that now on the website. So if you go under media on our website under audio, we have a little page there for uh, Partners with Purpose. I would encourage you to at least go through the introduction so that you can get a update on what we're looking to do in the coming years with the uh, Partners with uh, Purpose Ministry. And also we have a handout as well, um, so we can give you that handout if you don't have that. So, as I mentioned last week, we're going to have another um, family camp video. This is uh, uh, the number two video. We're going to see another one next week, so they want to make sure that everyone is well aware of uh, family camp coming up in June. And just wanted to kind of give you a little bit, a uh, little bit of a taste on what that's going to be about. So... Right now, we'll hit our second family camp video. Okay, we'll have a little bit more information on the uh, family camp coming up with the cost and, and such. What I'd like to do is, before we get into our second session, is just kind of review a couple of the um, uh, points and principles that we had learned last week. Uh, session one was uh, Love Happens in the Art of Marriage. Uh, the first one was uh, What is the Purpose of Marriage? And we learned last week that the purpose of marriage is to reflect God's image back to Him. So his character and his attributes, we're reflecting that to him and also as we live with uh, one another and particularly our spouses. We also learned that it is not the, the meaning of marriage is not your happiness. Uh, so we learned that. And also we learned about, you know, there's a myth out there, you know, did I marry the one? And um, if you're here sitting with your uh, spouse next to you, 
you're you're married to the one. So I think we just need to be able to eliminate that type of thinking uh, that we might have from possibly from time to time uh, when we kind of maybe grow apart or whatever. But uh, get back to uh, the principles that God has for us in His in His, in his Word for us to to reconnect. Another thing too is last week we looked at um, you know being able to receive our spouse, and if you remember the wide receiver uh, that he had, and uh, he said that um, you, you focus on receiving the ball. So he's focusing on receiving the ball. And that um, we need to view our spouse as a gift from God. So God gives us our spouses as gift. And we have an incompleteness, as we see in Genesis 2.18, or Adam had an incompleteness, that God used Eve to fill in the gaps for him. So we see uh, our spouse as a gift from God. And then we look the ball all the way into our hands. So once the pass is thrown, if I'm going to throw the football to Jerry, okay, he's going to have to accept what I throw him. It might be wobbly, or sometimes every so often I might hit a tight spiral to him. But um, with looking the ball away to our hands, we're not trying to change our spouse. And that is one thing that most of us, or all of us, have fallen into at some point, is that we're going to change our spouse. And let me just tell you that that is the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, of when there is true change. Now, the Lord can use us as an instrument in his hands to help our spouses change, but we don't change our spouses. We can't impose change upon them. And then he also talked about is once you've received the ball, is fully tucking it and protecting it. So that means that um, the, the differences that we have with our spouse are God-given. And he gives us those differences so that we can complement one another and that we can complete one another. So we take that and we tuck that and we protect that. And then the last step was is that after he received the ball, he looked up and we're running together. We're growing together in oneness. That's where we're going and that we're trying to um, reflect the image of God in our marriage. So that's where we're going is we focus on receiving the ball, we tuck it, we protect it, and then we look up and we run together. And um, again, we're trying to grow in, in oneness. And I thought that was just kind of a good uh, uh, scenario really to kind of walk through to kind of um, hammer home those uh, points that he made. Now, with talking about uh, protecting the ball, we want to make sure that Satan does not get a stronghold within our marriages. And uh, in our second uh, session here, it's going to be on love fades. And I'd like to read just a couple of things. And I think these are just good for us to, um, to acknowledge as we look at this session, but also just to acknowledge in marriage as well. And uh, I'll tell you, if you, unless you've had teaching in these areas, it's difficult. You find yourself in the midst of something, and it's like, you know, what's going on here? But anyway, the, on page 17, they have the big brush strokes. And their points are, couples naturally drift towards isolation. Our differences and weaknesses can push us apart. Sin has affected every marriage. The gospel brings healing and reconciliation. And couples must learn to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in marriage. So if we can keep those in mind, and we will view our second session, Love Fades. thing I could even imagine. I just had these pictures in my head of what Dave was going to be like. He's the hottest, most godly. He's going to lead me spiritually. It was the most anticipated thing of my life to marry him. 
I was married 10 years, and then we started embarking on the dream of our life, which was starting this church. We just had this vision of wanting God to do something great in terms of reaching people. Couldn't believe that God would use us to reach thousands for Christ, and it was an absolute dream come true. The dream started to become a reality, but it was becoming a very difficult reality. I basically got two or three jobs going all at the same time, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, trying to live my dream of starting, help starting this church. He was gone more and more and more. I'm at the same time the Detroit Lions chaplain, so I'm leading Bible studies, I'm on the road with the team. I would say things like, honey, you've got to be here. Like, the boys are growing up, I need you, the boys need you. I'm longing to spend time with you. And he's like, oh, I know. I thought I was doing great as a husband, as a dad. I preach this stuff. I know, you know, what the Bible says about marriage. And I'm I'm not perfect, but I'm living it pretty good. And we've got a pretty good marriage. I would put my marriage up against anybody's. He would walk out the door and I'd be like, wait, you're leaving again tonight? And he'd be like, yeah, don't you remember? I had this meeting and then I have to go here and I have to speak to these people. And I'd be like, whatever. Great. You know what? I'll put the boys to bed by myself again. That's great, honey. See ya. I would have said to you on a scale of 1 to 10, my marriage is probably a 10. If not a 10, it's a 9.8. And I guarantee you my wife would agree. And I would have probably said we're a 1, maybe like a 0.5. And I think he was totally clueless to that, which then that made me even more angry because I'm thinking, how do you not know how bad we're doing? On May 24th, 1990, it was our 10-year anniversary, and I sort of surprised Ann with a 10-year anniversary date. We dressed up, went to a really nice restaurant, and I sort of set it up with the waiter while we were having dinner. When I would cue him to sort of give him a look, he was supposed to bring a rose over. And so I cued him early in the dinner, and he brought over a rose and laid it on the table, and we talked about year one. He was like a little boy that night, like waiting for the next thing to happen. And I looked over later and he brought another rose. So anyway, every rose was a year and we would talk about that year. He was so sweet. He even planned what he was going to say when each rose arrived. On the way home, I thought it'd be pretty cool to uh, park in the parking lot where we were about to start our church. And Ann hadn't even seen this, so I thought it'd be pretty cool to park there, maybe pray about what God could possibly do. And to be totally honest with you, I thought we should just park. I know Dave Wilson. I knew that there was like this ulterior motive where it was like, yeah, we're going to park here. And, you know, he's all about the parking part. And so um, I kind of knew that was coming. So I leaned over to kiss Ann. And uh, as I, you know, lean over to kiss her in the passenger seat, she sort of pulls away. Uh, I just was like, I can't even, honey, I, I, in my head, I was thinking, I cannot even go there. So I pull back and I look at her and I say, is something wrong? She looks at me, I'll never forget this, and she goes, well, yeah, there is something wrong. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she says, well, to be honest with you, I've lost my feelings for you. We get married to become one, and yet immediately, even before the ceremony, we begin to experience the isolation that can occur between two imperfect people. I think couples drift because the marriage is not made a priority. I I think other things creep in. I think careers can creep in. I remember counseling with a couple where they they were Christians. They were in love with one another. They got married. They were both kind of um, professionals and had had very good jobs. But as they walked in their marriage, their their careers just began to take on a, a priority and they began to drift apart as a result. And it was unknowing, it was a subtle drift, but nevertheless it happened. So I I think drift can take place because we don't tend to the priority. We really do believe, we're taught to believe, we're, we are entertained to believe, uh, culturally conditioned to believe that our happiness is really the central issue and that our great project in life is our happiness. And that's going to be a huge problem for marriage because marriage is not about my happiness. It's not about my fulfillment. Marriage requires the shift of the pronoun from mine to ours. And that's a very different understanding. Uh, When it comes in a culture in which my, mine, 
uh, is uh, is the predominant fixation, it, it really does become a problem. Oh, look, look, look. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. We're selfish. We are selfish. And I, I want to say to that person that's looking at me right now, and, and, and you're shocked and you're not married yet and you're thinking that that little sweet something over there is the most generous, unselfish person in the world. She's selfish. And it's only a matter of time. As we get married and start sharing life together, um, reality begins to set in. And we recognize that we are still sinful people and that we still have difficulties and we still have problems. We have to work them out. And this person doesn't go home. <laughs> you know, and the more time you spend with another human being, the more you uncover the, the aspects of their personality that are difficult to deal with. You think that marriage is supposed to be easy, that it's supposed to be um, fulfilling. I mean, everybody tells you that you're really not living until you gotta, until you're married. But then you get married, and then you deal with the challenges of it. You deal with the career challenges. When one has a career and the other one has a career, and you're battling over who gets more, who, who, who gets to follow their dream. And you battle with infertility. And you, and you battle with discipline. And you battle with aging parents. And so you have all these dynamics that come to play, and you're trying to work through them. But there are so many stops along the road that say, get off now, or exit now. You look at your friends, they're exiting, and you say, you know what, why should I go through this? Why should I put up with this? Genesis 3 marks uh, the transition from a sinless state of humanity uh, in union with God and fellowship with Him and walking with His blessing and approval and pleasure um, to a state where there is sin and uh, Adam and Eve are alienated from God. Genesis 2 presents this wonderful picture of the man and the woman. They're in the garden. They're enjoying intimacy with God, their Creator. Um, they're, they're naked and they're not ashamed, but everything changes in Genesis 3. Savviest of all of the creatures in the Creator's perfect planet. The reptiles surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman, from her blind side, preserving the element of surprise. And he said, Hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the Creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good. How do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo. The tree of the knowing, the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free, every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Ah, said the snake, faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're going to learn. With just one bite, you'll be just like him. Eyes wide open. 
knowing the heights of what humans can do, knowing the depths, the despicable too. God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place, total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt fruit against her cheek. Totally wise, with open eyes, she said. What's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down and the universe was silent. It was the cool part of the day and God was walking, walking through the land he made, his ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look and kiss the innocence goodbye Adam where you hiding son Eve girl what have you done Around. It's broken now. Under a curse. From bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work harder, grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands, Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head, you will strike and bite his heel, you will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for he looked them in the eye with a sigh it's broken now he said and the serpent he when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, uh, a number of things occurred. First of all, uh, at the root of all of it was pride and, and disobedience to God. Sin affects every aspect of my person. It ex- sin infects every aspect of every human being. Um, body, soul, spirit, I mean, we, our, our minds, our thinking, our emotions, our actions, all of it is affected by the fall. First and primarily, the effect of, of sin is that it breaks that relationship with God. There is no longer the, the intimacy, the unity that they enjoyed. But it, it's not limited to just God, because there's things happening between the man and the woman as well. 
again, in Genesis 2, they're, they're together. They are united. There is a, a, a joy and a union together. But in Genesis 3, we begin to see the effects. They're, they're subtle, but they're dramatic, where God calls Adam to account for what has taken place. And the first thing he does is he throws Eve under the bus. I mean, he says, he says, it was the woman you gave me, Lord. So he's not just indicting Eve, he's indicting God. Uh, it was the woman, and by the way, you gave her to me, Lord. So it's, I think it's you and her, and it's your problems. Uh, as for me, I'm, I'm exonerated. I am, I'm not responsible whatsoever. At so many levels, that's pathetic. But, you know, we have it in the scripture because we need to see it in all of its pathetic ingloriousness. We need to see it in all of its humiliating falsity and it's just embarrassing smarminess. And then we come to understand, I really needed to see that because I'm Adam. Those words would just as easily come out of my mouth. It is interesting that, that part of the nature of sin is, is blame shifting. And, and that sense that it's the problem here is anything but me. Uh, it's it's the woman. It's the environment. It's the circumstances. It's the way I was raised. It's the past. It's my experience of oppression. Uh, any of these things can can kind of come in and and try to replace the real reason why we are the way we are. God's punishment comes in uh, three different parts. Uh, with regard to Adam, God gives pain in raising food from the ground. Um, Cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Um, to Eve, God gave uh, a punishment that uh, particularly focused on her role of childbearing. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. But then to their relationship, God also imposed punishment. Um, and that was in terms of conflict. So in Genesis uh, 316, God says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And that phrase there, you know, your desire will be for your husband. That's communicated again in chapter four to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. So that desire, that's not a good thing. Actually, the the marginal reading, the footnote reading in the ESV is probably giving us a more accurate sense of this. Your desire shall be against your husband. Um, there's a there's a desire to uh, usurp authority that God planted in Eve's heart as a punishment. Ask any woman who's been married more than about six weeks. You know, aren't there times you want to grab your back of your husband's neck and tell him what to say and do? And she will say, absolutely. And this is part of the fall. And, of course, his response to that is to withdraw from her. His response is to work. His response is to, you know, spend his time away. Because to lead and lovingly lead that relationship the way God intended, will take a supernatural work. Instead of Adam and Eve completing one another, Adam and Eve competed with one another. Eve sought to control her husband, and Adam and his imperfection tried to rule over her in an ungodly fashion, in a dictatorial fashion. And I think one of the, the great problems in a marriage relationship is when we lose sight of the, really the command to complete one another when we do move to competition, we lose we lose all ability to be one as God designed it, and we start moving toward isolation. I, I think we're just grossly naive to the constant battle that's waging war in our marriages, and that battle is so much beyond personality types or um, how you were raised. It, it's a spiritual warfare that's happening, and tragically, most of our people are very naive to it. Marriage is is God's greatest institution. Marriage is designed to tell the truth about God. That's the noble definition of marriage. It is it is designed to carry his purposes through flesh and blood from one generation to the next. It is designed to to impact time with eternal principles. That's that's noble. So we gotta understand Satan's not sitting back in his lazy boy lounger while we just have a glorious marriage and resolve conflict and get along with one another and help each other plan and help each other overcome problems and stuff and you know we and he doesn't intrude no he's he's this is this is serious stuff here and neither is the devil some little cute dude with a little red jumpsuit on with a pitchfork sticking people in the backside 
No, he's a cunning, attractive uh, individual. He, he, he seduces us and he comes close to the truth. And the real enemy in our household is not, it's not your wife who has a problem with anger or your husband who is not engaged and responsible. Yeah, I mean, those are issues that need to be fixed. I don't want to sound Pollyanna there, but your biggest enemy is a supernatural enemy. And I think a good dose of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through the end of that chapter where it talks about the armor of God, I think we need to practice that and to intentionally run to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, please cover me, help me. I don't want the enemy through me to drive a wedge in my household, to destroy my marriage or my or for me to say hurtful, spiteful things to my kids or to let my sin uh, be leveraged. Uh, that's where the real battle is. And that's why we need Jesus and we need his presence and we need his covering so desperately. Dave, I really have lost my feelings for you. I'm sitting there stunned. Like, what? I knew that that killed him. And I was at a point where I didn't even know what else to say to him. And so when he asked me to tell him what I meant by that I just said I feel like you're never home I feel like you're not engaged with me I feel like you're not engaged with the boys I immediately went defensive I was like I'm going to reach in the back seat pull out my little day day planner my calendar and prove to her she's wrong I have been home I can show you and right as I was turning like this I sense the spirit of God don't grab that planner don't say a word listen just shut up and listen And so I shared with him how at first I was really angry and then I was really bitter and then my bitterness turned to resentment and then after a while I didn't even care that he was gone. I again sensed from God's spirit to my spirit one word and the word was repent. All of a sudden he's like, honey, I just have to do something first. And I'm thinking, do something? What, what, you're gonna go somewhere? You're gonna, what are you gonna do? God was saying, if you wanna get this right, this horizontal husband-wife relationship right, this needs to be right. The vertical relationship between God and myself. And so, (laughs) you should have seen this. He turns around in our Honda, and he's, I don't even know how he did it. He's on his knees on the floor of this Honda with the steering wheel in his back. And um, he starts to pray out loud. God, I repent. I'm too busy. I'm lukewarm. I know what you think of lukewarm uh, Christians, and I want to be right with you. And I repent of my sin. And I want to be the husband, and I want to be the dad you called me to be to be the dad that I preach, the dad that I know, and the husband I know what the word says, and I'm not living it, I'm saying it, but I'm not doing it, I'm a hypocrite, and I don't want to be a hypocrite anymore, I want to love her like she deserves, and I want to love my kids like they deserve, and I'm not doing it, and I ask you to give me the power to be the man you called me to be. The amazing thing is when I saw him do that, um, it, it just broke my heart. God was saying to me, Ann Wilson, you have been trying to get your happiness for the last six months from your husband. And I never made him, I never equipped him to fill all your needs. I am the only one who can meet all of your needs. And that thought alone spurred me on to get on my knees. And for me, it was a moment of repentance, too. 
as we prayed on our 10-year anniversary and sort of resubmitted our marriage back to Christ, as, as, as I'm sitting here 20 years later, I can tell you that moment changed our marriage. It did. It really did. It was like, if, if this is going to work, this has to be in place. That night became a moment of spiritual awakening for both of us. It was a night of rededicating our hearts to God, our hearts to Jesus, and rededicating our marriage to Him and asking Him to come in to heal us, to give us wisdom to know how to go on from here, and really to change our hearts. And He did that. thought this was an excellent session on how sin affects our marriages in the different dynamics that it creates within our marriages and to be to be wise to that so that we know on how to appropriately deal with it and also how crafty Satan is I mean he's not going to hit you with something that looks blatantly wrong or something that you're not going to be tempted with I mean he's very crafty he's the father of all lies And that's why all of us need to be on guard at all times for what he has uh, for us. Uh, Just before we get into the discussions, and again, I'd like to get some really good discussion going here. I just want to let you know that if you have access to Right Now Media, you can watch The Art of Marriage there. Also, you can go to their website if you'd like to rewatch these uh, videos. Um, And then also on page 26, uh, they have kind of completing the picture, picture. Uh, just given the main points of uh, what we just uh, saw in session two, but it just says, I must learn how to resist the, the natural drift towards isolate, isolation and marriage. My individual sin is the issue behind marital conflict. I must learn to take responsibility for my sin and reconcile with God, as Dave did uh, in the session. Uh, Jesus Christ's sacrifice reconciled me to God and allows me to live in peace with him and others. And I must learn to walk each day by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to stay close to my spouse. So anyway, I thought they did a good job of wrapping that up. What I'd like to do is is look at the questions on page 27. And we have a couple of uh, microphones here. And I'd like to uh, uh, kind of walk through these questions. I'm going to have my uh, better half up here, Tracy. And uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at question 5 first. And it says, read Genesis uh, 2, 20 through 25. This passage describes the great state of marriage as God intended it, filled with gratitude for each other and a recognition that God brought the two of them together. But sin enters the picture in Genesis 3. So, hon, if you want to read that. I don't have glasses. Oh, you don't? No. <laughs> okay. All right, where are we at here? So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib, and he taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my, of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So with that, uh, describe the effects that sin has on marriage. And we saw a little bit of this in the, uh, in the session here in the video. But uh, just uh, briefly, if you can just kind of tell us on some of the effects that we see in sin and how that's played out with, uh, within our marriages. Is there any, any, anybody brave enough to, uh, to answer that one? <laughs> Be a little transparent. Okay, here we go. Um, I would have to say that when, once you have, once there's sin, are they talking about the original sin? Or are we talking about within our marriage? We're yeah, just about, within sin okay. within the marriage. Once, once sin starts to like fester, or you don't take care of it, or you know, obviously God's going to continue to um, put that burden on you, that conviction on you. 
you either have a bubble around yourself or, or your spouse has one around them and that's instantly a wall that's built. One, one more reason you can't open up, one more reason you can't share, one more reason you will keep that to yourself. Okay. Very good. Thanks, Glenn. Any others? And that wall comes quick, doesn't it? Because it's self-preservation because we're selfish. So our first inclination is not to invite in what we're hearing about ourselves, which we probably don't want to hear in the first place because we don't see it. Because Jeremiah tells us our hearts are deceitfully wicked and they deceive even ourselves. So in our mind's eye, we've got our issues. You know, we're not perfect because that's our pat answer too. Well, I know I'm not perfect either. But, right, and then we just it all out and it's got to be somebody else's fault. And we build those walls because we want to preserve self. And then that inevitably affects here, but it also affects your relationship with the Lord. Because now you're hiding from that. You know, he's given you that gift of a spouse to help you see your gaps and fill them in. And that's not possible when you try to shut it off. Okay. Thank you. Anything else on that one? Okay, let's just look at the uh, next one. It says, how should you deal with personal sin in order to guard the oneness of your marriage? So how should you deal with the personal sin that we have within our marriages? Anybody want to take that one? Go ahead, brother. Repentance. Thank you. The willingness uh, to be humble and repent and acknowledge it before God first. Okay, very good. Comes to mind. Okay. And then to your spouse. Yes. We saw that with Dave. Janice, you had a. Um, Keeping your walk with the Lord and um, keeping your daily devotions and talking to Him every day will keep your marriage strong. Because if you're right with the Lord and doing things and a certain way to guard your heart, um, then it will help your marriage by, you know, not watching certain things you're not supposed to watch. Just basically guarding your heart and keeping the relationship open with God. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Any others? Glenn? I see it says uh, your personal sin. Um, if, if the husband and wife are one, it becomes both of your sin. If I have sin personally, I share it with my wife. And like Paul mentioned earlier, you have to know that's what it is. You have to know you have sin before you can even repent of it. So when that happens, my wife, I try to tell her instantly so that we can work through it together and she can be that helper that I need, that mm-hmm. God has provided for me. Okay, very good. Thanks, Glenn. So with that, what does what does God have in your marriage? What role does God play in your marriage? So what makes a difference for you? Does God role play, have a role in your marriage? I mean, that's something to think about. I think sometimes we kind of take that for granted. But when you really sit and think about it right now, like hopefully you are because you're all just kind of staring. But, <laughs> but when you think about that, does God have a role in my marriage? And in what way? How, how am I utilizing the strength that God gives me? How do I utilize the mate that God has provided me with? How, how is that role effective in strengthening my marriage? Any? <laughs> All right, here we go. We got some hands going. <laughs> um, I would say that, I mean, one thing that the video referenced was that your spouse is not your source of joy, and not all your hope is in your spouse. Our hope is in the Lord, and joy comes from the Lord. And a lot of problems come about when you flip that around. And you think, 
my spouse is my joy and my hope and all my dreams are fulfilled in this one broken, sinful person. And that's settling for a lot less than what God has for us when we're in a relationship with him. So it's like the whole foundation of living. (laughs) And when he's your joy and your hope, you can approach your relationships in a way that is God-honoring and it it falls in place with how he wants you to pursue your relationships. And he gives the whole purpose for marriage. So not only is it your hope and joy in the Lord, but he's giving you the purpose to live it out. And, um, you know, in his word, he gives us guidance. And if we obey him, he's going to bring you closer together by living that out. Thanks, honey. For those of you who don't know, that's my daughter. <laughs> Any others? I know we had a couple other hands back here. Is there anybody who wants to? Um, I tell my son um, almost every day that he's a gift from God to me. And um, this video said that my husband is a gift from God to me. So um, I think I'm going to take that home. Um, I'm thankful for Danny, but I didn't think of him like a gift. So um, at the, I'm doing the Growth Partner book, and it's a woman after God's own heart. So that has really helped me um, see my role differently. Like, so how is God, um, or what role does he have in my marriage? It's um, been pretty intense about, like, me being Danny's helper and, even just little things, like if Jonah's just being so disobedient in the morning, and like I'm trying really hard to um, help Danny leave the house feeling good, you know, and then like making it a safe place for him to come home to instead of um, Jonah arguing with mommy. Like, so I'm just trying to set the stage for um, a happy environment, I guess, for Danny to feel like the book calls it his like little place of heaven you know so that's been really helpful okay great thanks for sharing that let's look at uh, question six on the video the sobering point is made that satan is actively trying to destroy your marriage that he and not your spouse is your enemy identify some of the tactics you see satan using to attack marriages and then discuss some things that you can do to protect your marriage so just to kind of, if you want to comment on either one of them would be fine, just for the sake of time. But uh, identify some of the tactics that you see Satan using in our marriages and some things that we can do to protect our marriages. Thank you. Um, <laughs> social media, um, computers, Facebook, um, um, cell phones, you know, um, I think it's his way of, you know, people communicating and, um, texting. Um, you don't have to talk out loud. It's really easy for someone to text someone a message and your wife or husband not know it or talk about something. Um, it's just, more isolated and sneaky and um in facebook um i don't know i don't really need to go into it but i just social media think is really harmful computers cell phones for marriage and thanks thanks tamra and again these are all very good tools for us to be able to use our computers our cell phones uh, Facebook, even though I really do not go out on Facebook. I will tell you this, though. I heard on a secular radio station that 40% of all divorces name Facebook as a source that led to the divorce. So I just I just say that just to caution you. I'm not saying it's sinful that you go out on Facebook. But just, again, have your eyes open. I mean, this is the way Satan works, is that somebody from the past will contact you potentially. So again, it's, uh, I'm not saying it, you know, being on Facebook is, we, in fact, we utilize Facebook here for the church. So, but just have your eyes open. But uh, anyway, very good, very good list. Anyone else? Um, 
I think we're inundated by Hollywood and their vision of marriage, which is not a godly vision of marriage. Right. Um, they portray what the wife is supposed to be like. They portray what the husband is supposed to be like, and usually he's some little spineless wimp. And, <laughs> and this is just the way it goes. Right. Um, and you hear that, and then if I think if you're hanging around with unbelievers, um, they have got different ideas. They think living together is okay. Um, and I think that that tends to numb you to to God's word and to living sure. the right way. Right. I think that's one of the downfalls of Facebook is that you see everybody's highlights. It's kind of like an ESPN highlights of you know the guy jamming the ball or catching big touchdown pass, but you really don't see what's underneath. And certainly with Hollywood, you know everything looks glitzy and you know good, but then you know two years down the road, they're not together again, and, you know, there's always so-and-so got divorced that they split up and all that, so we certainly see that uh, played out. So, got a comment right back here. Uh, I've noticed in the last 20 years or so, our standard or understanding of friendships have blurred, and when you're married, I was kind of raised this way, your husband is your best friend and nobody else goes in that spot. No children, no girlfriend, no co-worker that's a male, no guy at church or any of that. And I just see that getting blurred, and that I just see how Satan just gets in there. And then then you start leaning on the wrong person, and then all of a sudden you follow your heart, which is right. Disney everywhere, besides American Girl and stuff. And there you go. Yeah. One plus one. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's excellent. And that's the way Satan does work. You know, what's wrong with pl- platonic relationships, right? I mean, I've heard of, you know, couples where, you know, the spouse will go to, you know, the movies with uh, her male friend or whatever. And it's like, you know, really, I mean, we need to have our eyes wide open to the sinfulness that was in within each of us and uh, really um, look wisely on these things and how we interact with the opposite sex. So that is, that's very good, and that's exactly how Satan, Satan does work. And the moment you think, I would never, is the moment you should shudder and shiver. Right. Honestly. Because not one of us is beyond anything. Mm-hmm. And you are, you are one bad decision away from being that person. Just one. One bad decision because it will cascade. So the minute you look at somebody and you go, I would never do that. Or thank goodness my husband would never do that. Shudder and go to your knees Mm -hmm. because you need to be praying right then for the protection of your marriage for sure. A couple things. Well, we just watched uh, the movie Fireproof again last night. It was on and that's always a great movie too watch and and really just um, with what we're learning and what we're hearing in this, it has a lot of the examples of that as far as what are the sins and, you know, getting rid of the source of the sin or the thing that's tempting you for sin, which the computer and pornography was uh, the sin in his life. And and, uh, one of the things I just wanted to mention was with Valentine's just passing, I had, we had, you know, written uh, homemade cards for one another and and the card that I had written for Glenn on the inside, it said, my heart belongs to you. And last night during our prayer time with Benjamin, he had said something about that. He says, well, you wrote that in Daddy's card. Uh, doesn't my heart belong to you? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and it, it makes you like, oh, well, yeah, it does. But And I explained to him, well, it means that that my heart belongs to daddy or his heart belongs to me, you know, as a marriage, as a couple, that there's no other woman, no other man for each other, but it's very easy for us to have our children play that role, like you were saying, as far as, you know, what you say to your son, and just understand that uh, that our spouse is the number one, you know, obviously God number one, but uh, then our spouse, and then our children, and helping our children to understand that that's how marriage should be. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I want to jump to a question, too, because we, we're kind of out of time, but I would like to take a couple extra minutes here because I think this is this is real-life uh, situations. You know, you, we saw in the video Dave and Ann Wilson, 
And, you know, they had a, a, a big difference in the way that they rated their marriage. I mean, Dave said, you know, he would give it, you know, if it wasn't a 10, it was a 9.8. And then they go to Ann and they get her rating on it. And she says a one or a half. I mean, that's a major discrepancy there. And uh, so anyway, I just want to kind of open it up. And I think this is good discussion for us as couples to have this week is how do we get there? I mean, is this just Dave and Ann that go through this? Uh, I'm just being transparent. I know that there's times in our marriages where, uh, you know, I viewed our marriage uh, one way and my wife says uh, I view it another way. <laughs> and it was a great opportunity for us to be able to discuss you know, closing the gap in our relationship and what we needed to do for that. And I have, I want to I'll comment, but I want to hear from you first on how can we have that broad of a gap in our marriages? What is it? What are some of the problems and the issues that would lead us to that point of really almost isolation uh, from each other? So I'd like to, Jerry? I think part of it uh, just... That's the way God wired us. As men, we more, not that women are illogical, but men are less emotional and more logical. We work, we provide, we're there, we come home, we're not out drinking, smoking, partying. So in our eyes, everything's perfect, right? Right, right? Bills are paid, you're good, I'm good. And women are more emotional. We're not there for them emotionally. Um, and I think... Again, nothing against women. They tend to dwell more on past issues that have not been resolved. And in our eyes, it was a five-minute discussion. Life's good. And she's still sitting there with, well, no, it's not good, but mm-hmm. we never get it resolved. That adds up. Men keep things very, as Sherry and I joke, there's a video, you guys may have seen it on YouTube, in a box. We only talk about one box at a time. And when that box is done, we close and put it away. <laughs> we don't entwine 30 different things, and I think probably all the women would agree there's 30 things going on in their mind, and it's all entwined together. And so I think in her mind, we're at the point five, and in our mind, we're perfect. Right. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate that. Any, Danny, I see Danny as a. My wife just said she's scared because I'm going to talk, so <laughs> I hope I don't embarrass her. Remember, he's a gift. Yes. <laughs> Richard can First, <laughs> this man hits so many nails on the head. Are you a carpenter or a roofer or whatever? Um, I think the um, the 9.8 and the 1 or the 0.5 is obviously lack of communication. They weren't communicating. And they weren't communicating because he was never home. And so, and going back to what he says, you know, from the male perspective, he was doing what he thought he was supposed to be doing. He was working and that, you know, required traveling and this and that. And we uh, were providers, we're problem solvers, um, and we can solve problems in five minutes, just like he said. But <laughs> the wife... Uh, it's like, no, it's not solved. So I, I think it all went back to communication. They just weren't communicating because he was never there. And uh, I think that's a big thing. And for me and Leslie, um, it's alone time. Finding time to be husband and wife instead of mommy and daddy when the kids are in the picture and the kids right. are little. Yes. And that is a big thing right now for us is finding the time to be alone and husband and wife time instead of mommy and daddy time, which is... You know, constant, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But lack of communication on the big gap in scores. Very good. Thanks, Danny. Any others? You said uh, the part about communicating. Um, you said it clearly, shut up, right? Us guys, when our wives, thanks. Us guys, when we're talking to our wives or our wives are trying to talk to us more to the point, sometimes they just want us to l- listen, right? And I'm, I'm big on, she's got a problem, I want to fix it. That's me. You know, and that's where I think a lot of guys go is that we hear something, we want to solve the problem, we want to move on and get our life straight, right? But a lot of times they just want us to listen. And I'm big at not shutting up. So, and with our personalities both being strong and wanting to control, that creates problems too. So it's really important that we listen to our wives and not always try to fix it. Right. All right. Thank you. Any others? 
Janice? Um, not making time for each other and God in your relationship. Not going over things weekly can separate and lead to bitterness between the marriage. So I think that if you make time for each other more and discuss more of your issues and have a better line of communication open and pray together. Mm-hmm. I, my husband and I, we thought it was super weird at first, <laughs> but then praying together kind of helped us become more centered and understand each other's feelings and we've grown closer. So just being together, don't alienate each other and then become bitter about being alienated Mm -hmm. because that's a big thing that will drive a stake in a marriage is alienation from bitterness. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We'll kind of end and I'm going to give you the last word, but just kind of going through this scenario and I think back of times where we had, I had the 9.8 9.8 and you gave me the 1.0 was, you know, again, men and women, as Jerry mentioned, I mean, we're wired differently. We have different responsibilities. Uh, the man views himself as the provider. So, I mean, I'm, I'm charging the hill. I mean, I'm, you know, trying to build the career so that we can have, you know, the nice things in life and be able to provide for the family. So, you know, that's like my primary focus. Jerry, as you said, focusing on one thing, it's like, you know, I'm trying to provide for the family. And uh, so, but with that, um, obviously there's the lack of communication and obviously I'm not opening up the way that I should. So I'll give you the last, uh, last thing. That was dangerous. <laughs> but in those seasons, as I had time to process while, really quickly while you're saying that, but in those seasons, conversely, a lot of times as a wife, we, as he's seeing his role is just provider, provider, provider. We're doing great because, you know, everybody's alive, you know, everybody's got some food, we're clothed, we got a roof over our head, et cetera. And she's still here. So we're, we're good. And meanwhile, for a wife, we don't always recognize the weight that sits with that. That in itself, that his calling as a man by God is to provide not just for self, but for his wife and his family. And that's huge. And especially in this day and age, um, just providing is a huge thing. So we tend to get caught up in our selfish mode as well. But we tend to look at it differently in so much as, seriously, can I get a hand around here? I've got to put everybody to bed. I've got to bathe everybody. i got to cook all this stuff. We all know I don't excel in culinary arts. So it's a stressor, you know, all of those things, because now we're spiraling into our self-mode as well. So we're not even realizing. So now, like you talked about, there's that wedge, that alienation starts to go up, because neither one of us are communicating effectively. So I'm viewing him as off in his own world, doing what he wants his own way, instead of recognizing he is doing what God has called him to do, to be a provider for our family, and God has also called me to come alongside to be a helpmate in that. How do I make that easier? Which is converse to our thinking, because I want him to make my life easier. And it's when you can communicate both of those things effectively that you, you can begin to break down some of those walls. And he can go, oh, you mean all I got to do is wash a couple dishes? I'm in. I can do that. No problem. You know, yeah. And <laughs> do we have stuff. a dishwasher? Right? But still. But so just effectively communicating and you'd be amazed. It'd be, be amazed. And then being able to pray together, like you said, Janice, is it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And it is weird at first. Mm-hmm. It's kind of strange. Because you think it wouldn't be, but then you're if you're really gonna pray in earnest and you're bearing your heart, it makes you vulnerable before God and before your spouse. And you have to remember to not get defensive, too, when you hear something your spouse might pray about. So, but it's a game changer. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. Okay, I thank you for the conversation. This is what's going to really make this series. Jerry, did you have something else to... Okay. Oh, okay. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. You got it? It's just... There's all this pressure, you know, and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And 
I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on. <laughs> if you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. You wise, if you have any funny videos, I will give you equal time. <laughs> but uh, husbands, if you can remember uh, 1 Peter uh, 3, uh, 3, 7... Uh, live with your wives in an understanding way. So start communicating this week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. And date your wife.